It's my uh, privilege tonight to spend a few minutes uh, doing what we do together every Sunday, and that's uh, open up the Bible together, read a little bit of it, and then talk about what it means and seek to apply it to our lives. So if uh, you brought a Bible, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. And if you didn't, there should be underneath the seat in front of you um, a Bible that looks like this. They're blue, and you can turn in those Bibles to page 472. Page 472. This will not be your uh, typical warm, fuzzy Christmas Eve message. Uh, We decided tonight to just continue on with what we've been talking about on Sunday morning. We have been uh, working our way of late through the first three chapters in the book of Matthew. Matthew is one of the biographies in the Bible about Jesus. So tonight we're just going to pick up where we left off yesterday, read a bit of the text together, and then for just a few minutes, I'd love to try and explain its meaning. So if you want to follow along with me, we'll start in Matthew 3. The chapter number is the big one, and the little numbers are the verse numbers. We'll start in Matthew 3, verse 1. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who has spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Don't presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me, he's talking here about Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The days leading up to Christmas are in many ways days of preparation. On Christmas Day, friends and family will descend into each other's homes expecting gifts and treats, fun, and that unsurprising dose of conflict that always comes. With the exception of that conflict, everything else requires planning. There's the shopping and the wrapping and the cooking and the cleaning. There's the calls and the emails and the texts and the Snapchats trying to figure out who's going where and when, all without keeping Uncle John from getting upset. And then there's the traveling, which so many of you have done to get here tonight. 
It's exhausting just thinking about it, isn't it? All this preparation. But laying the groundwork for a great Christmas day is worth it. Preparation for things that matter is worth the labor that goes into them. We prepare for things that are significant to us. We prepare for what's important. And in just a couple of minutes, I want to try and encourage you to prepare for what matters most. There's a rather odd man that we just read about. His name is John the Baptist. How would you like to be known for what you wore and what you ate? Some of us would not be very pleased with that. He prepared not for what we now call Christmas, but for what preceded it, for what we remember. He prepared for the arrival in the ministry of Jesus. That's what these 12 verses are about. And they're also about, by implication, how you and I can prepare for Jesus. So let's consider both of those things, John's preparation and our preparation. I thought about calling it Preparation J for Jesus, but that just didn't seem right. Now, John the Baptist uh, prepared just a couple of moments on him. You'll notice there if you look again at verse 1, it starts with three little words, in those days. Now, there's a lot crammed into just those three words, but basically, here's the deal. John tells us what was happening in the days in which Jesus came. This is sort of a way of setting the date and time, if you will. This is the first century. It's the Roman Empire. Much, if not all of the known world, has been engulfed by Rome. Taxes are high. Morale is low. And back then, to really date how long ago it was, birds were things that flew in the sky, not scooters we got on and rode around town. Now, in those days, in the northern part of Israel, this man, John, emerged. And he emerged claiming to speak for God. This wasn't a day when people did that. But John did. He said, here's what God says. And then he opened his mouth. John's, as we would say it, job description was to prepare people to see and to hear, to understand, and to know Jesus. Now, his message can be summarized much more succinctly than mine. It's right there in verse 2. He says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, frankly, I think like that first song we sang, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. Somebody on the front row leaned over to me and said, is that in Hebrew? And I said, no, it's Latin. And he said, well, why don't we just say it in English, Dad? From the mouth of babes, right? This verse, John's message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, can sound a bit like gibberish. It can sound a bit like Latin, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. But probably every single person in the room today is familiar with the word heaven. Heaven. Heaven 
is where everything is good. Heaven is where no one is sick. Heaven is where no one gets angry. Heaven is where there are no estranged relationships. Heaven is where no one is treated unjustly. Heaven is where no one's bored or unemployed or homeless or even sad. Home, that's what heaven is. It's home. It's a perfect place. Heaven is where God is, and it's where everyone who knows God goes. So John went around in the desert of Israel preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When he said all of that, he meant something wonderful, something profound. John was announcing that no longer is heaven just out there, but heaven has come here. Friends, there are glimpses of all that is right and true and good. And those glimpses came to Israel. And they continue to come to all kinds of people in all kinds of places. The kingdom of heaven arrived because Jesus arrived. Like those two or three days of the year when there's clouds in the sky here in Arizona and There's little cracks in those clouds and the sun comes beasting and bursting through. Jesus brought the rays, the light of heaven. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, became a man and brought the kingdom with him. Brought the kingdom in him. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? John's task was to tell people that they too could get in on this whole kingdom of heaven thing. But shockingly, that comes not by having been a good Jew your whole life. It comes not by keeping a short list of wrongs and a long list of rights. It comes not by getting the best education or not having sex before marriage. It comes not even because you go to church. John said the way into the kingdom of heaven is only through the doorway of repentance. Remember back in verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Friends, the word repent means to turn around. It means to have a dramatic change of mind. It means to become so convinced of something or someone That you've been going this way your whole life, but in an instant, in a moment, you are turned and you go the exact opposite direction. It's to have your moral compass shift from south to north. Preaching repentance wasn't popular in John's day. That's clear when he called the reigning religious leaders, sons of Satan. And yet, it's not popular in our day either. Frankly, we are indoctrinated in the story that we individually always determine right from wrong because there is no absolute truth. But friends, what if 
that turns out to be wrong? What if there really is God? What if there really is truth? What if Jesus actually came? John says, repent, because God says we are all accountable to him in our only hope of getting caught up in this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom of light, is summarized in three things. We've got to become convinced that we've failed to follow God, all of us. Certainly in different ways, we are endlessly creative. But to become convinced that we have failed to follow God, and number two, that we must become convinced we can do nothing to fix that. That no matter who we know or whose we are or what we have, we can't fix this problem ourselves. And then third, that our only hope is to repent, to turn around, to turn to God instead of running from God. Friends, this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to do for us what we could not, in fact, do for ourselves. He came to open heaven with his love. So John's life was about preparing people to receive this good news, this gospel, this message from Jesus. And as people turned from sin and turned to God, then they began to be baptized. They showed their change of mind by getting dunked underwater. Godly people have always done really, really weird things. But friends, the picture's clear. It's that by being dipped under something, our old way of thinking, our old way of living, our old moral compass has died. And then coming up out of that water, we have been washed new. We have symbolically experienced an inward change. John called them to renounce their self-reliance and to rely on God from that day forward. And they did it. They did it because the kingdom of heaven was coming in Jesus and is forever bound up in Jesus. If you've driven down Mill Avenue or Apache in the last few months from this intersection right here, you have very likely attempted to pull your hair out. The traffic has been horrendous. And that's because there's preparation happening. There is a railroad being planned. From where the light rail ends further down on Apache till it meets further up on Mill. Whenever this preparation ends, there's going to be a streetcar. The streetcar will connect one to the other. The old school, toot, toot. It's going to be amazing. But the preparation is rather frustrating. Tracks are being laid for that old school trolley, and soon we'll be able to stroll right down there. It's going to be great. But the path had to be prepared. The track has to be laid. The way must be be made straight. That's what John came to do. 
He came with a message that would level out hardened, rocky hearts in order that people might be prepared to receive this Jesus of love. Friends, just like John prepared for Jesus, just like this road is being prepared for the streetcar, we too need to be prepared. Not for Christmas morning, but for what matters most. You see, this Bible, the Scripture teaches that Jesus is going to come again. He's going to come one more time. And that this time when He comes, He's not coming as a baby in a manger outside Bethlehem. He will be coming as the ruling, reigning King. And like John, Jesus too will be baptizing. But this baptism won't be in water. When Jesus comes again, the text says He will be plunging everyone, either into salvation or into judgment. That's what the end of verse 11 says. He says, He, meaning Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Friends, that means that in Jesus, salvation is here. But it also means in Jesus, damnation is near. When Jesus returns, He will shower love on all who know Him and trust Him and have been saved by Him. But for each who refuses Him in this life, we will know nothing but judgment in the next. I pointed out a minute ago that in the start of our passage, in verse 1, there's three words. In those days, our passage ends similarly with three words. With unquenchable fire. Brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, those three words are what Jesus has spared you from. Your future in the kingdom of heaven is certain. He has saved you. He will come with nothing but love. Friend, if you are here though tonight and you don't consider yourself a Christian, would you consider John's message? Because the consequences of refusing to do so are terrible. Here's the truth. All people everywhere will spend eternity either in eternal joy or in eternal, inextinguishable judgment. The message of Christmas is not Jesus is a cozy, cuddly little baby. The message of Christmas is that God became a man in order that he would grow up, die on a cross, rise again, ascend to heaven, and will one day return to baptize all, either in his love or in his judgment. Everything hangs on repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Will you pray with me?
Father, this is a heavy message for a delightful evening. And yet our need for you is great. I imagine very few of us came tonight expecting to hear from you. And yet that is our greatest need. Would you please now, as you always do, take your word, speak to each of our hearts in precisely the way we need to be impacted individually. And grant us the courage to respond to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.